you're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money Podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shellick and Colin White, Portfolio Managers with Barrican Capital Management, Inc. Welcome to the next very special edition of Bare Naked Money. This is your end or your beginning podcast, depending, I guess, on when we post this. But, but Josh has a theme for us today that I'm quite excited about. He dug through the the archives and went all the way back to last year to find out what we were predicting for this year. And I specifically didn't do that so that I can give you a live react to to everything Josh is about to bring up. So Josh, you've been more excited about this podcast than any other podcast we've recorded together. I can't wait. It is a fun one to do. It, it, and it is, I, I like we were talking about earlier, I went back. I didn't remember what I had predicted either. but. Some of them are funny. Some of them were kind of silly in the moment. Some of them were silly in the moment and somehow ended up still coming true. So that's the the funniest part of all this. But uh, yeah, so I'll I'll go through what I predicted. I'll go through how it worked out because, you know, we're big fans of evaluating ourselves and self-reflection here so we could improve for next year because we will be doing a 2024 predictions <laughs> podcast. And uh, we'll get your reaction to the results. And I think last year on our results podcast, you graded me. I'm not sure what you graded me on, but I'm sure you'll come up with a scale or a rubric of some sort. I will come up with a scale and it will be different per question. Okay. (laughs) That sounds good. That makes it really tough. All right. Number one here. So my first prediction from last year was that you will be surprised and you will be surprised about being surprised. And this is not you specifically, <laughs> but it is the royal we as the collective we of, or the collective you of everybody that's out there. Wow. So which surprise do you want to start with? I mean, the, <laughs> the, the, the amazing breakout month of November that everybody talked about or, or wait, nobody talked about. And do we want to start there for recency bias? I mean, what, what was the biggest surprise before November? You know what? I, I was thinking it wasn't a super surprising year, was it? I, I, I kind of feel like it wasn't that surprising. But on the other hand, everybody was predicting a recession coming into 2023, and that never happened. So that's a, a pretty material surprise right off the bat. Markets did pretty well. Stocks did well. Bonds did well. That's probably surprising, depending on who you ask. That November one is a great example because that that's where you're surprised about being surprised. Like, yes, it was a surprising month, but I think nobody would have even considered predicting that heading into November. So that was a big one. Uh, I remember Israel that that conflict over the weekend, and you called me on the Monday and said. Shouldn't oil be up? It's down. That was surprising. <laughs> so there, there yeah. were certainly lots of surprises. Were you surprised about being surprised this year? Uh, well, no. See that, that that's that's a really high bar for me because I've been surprised so many times that I stopped calling it being surprised. Yeah. What I look for is being startled. Um, I I wasn't startled this year. Uh, there was things that were going. Oh, that's odd. Lots of things rose to that level. And again, mm-hmm. the oil question is is a really great example. Uh, is it surprising that we're still talking about a war in the Ukraine? Yeah, part of me is still surprised that we're still yeah. talking about a war in Ukraine. Uh, that I would I would have thought that would have petered out, which is particularly bad news. 
But then there's the old expression that we've successfully predicted 18 of the last three recessions. Um, you know, and that that continues to be the case. Um, you know, we're going to keep talking about it because it's scary, and one will eventually come. Uh, but you know, I, for, for me, the most and again recency bias, the most startling was you know, November. I mean, just one month, and uh, I don't think that anybody would have predicted the double-digit equity returns that we've seen this year, a year ago. I don't think we were talking about that. I'm not startled, a little surprised that it played out this way. Yeah. Uh, given the fact that in January we were pricing in two interest rate cuts in 2023 that didn't happen. Um, so to be sitting here at the end of the year with no interest rate cuts and in fact still some uncertainty as to if or when we're going to see interest rate cuts that we've seen a double digit equity returns. That's surprising or yeah. not startling, but it's surprising. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, the world continues to be befuddle. I, yeah, reaching back to the Palestinian-Israeli conflict, that truly is surprising. Like, I really thought that that was going to be tremendously bad news for markets and good news mm -hmm. for oil, and it doesn't seem to have played out that way, even remotely. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of surprises. I think we're, we're both of the same mind where we know that there are going to be surprises, so we try not to be surprised about that fact. So that, and it, that flows through everything that we do as investors and advisors on the finance front is everything we do is, is planning for the unexpected planning for the surprise. Or I, I think the converse of that, you know, not counting on certain things happening. Like yeah. If we had, if we had begun the year counting on the fact that we would see a recession this year and planned accordingly. Again, the old, you know, analogy that I use with the, with the farmer's almanac, if you look at the farmer's almanac and it's going to be a really dry summer, does that mean you change all your crops to something that only dries and only works in dry conditions, or or do you just make sure you lock down access to more irrigation in case you need it? Yeah. I mean, there's two different ways to reacting to, you know, expectations. One is to kind of lock in; that's the only way it's going to happen, and the only way I'm going to be successful. The other is to just prudently plan, so that if that happens, that you're you have a way to react to it, right? Right. Yeah, for sure. So the second one here, this was kind of a layup. Bonds will do better than they did last year. So just <laughs> just for context. Well, the fact that bonds are actually still trading, I think, you know. Yeah. Which would, would satisfy that. Yeah. <laughs> so the reason I say it was a layup is because I was saying that bonds will have a better year than their worst year on record, literally their worst year on record. So mm -hmm. it wasn't a, a, a big stretch to say that, but- the contrast is is very, very startling. 2022, the Canadian bond market, aggregate bond market was down 11.7%. This year, as of today, it's up about 7%. So mm -hmm. it outperformed the prior year by about 18% as of today. We're sitting here about a week from the end of the year. So uh, not only did they do better than last year, but it's actually turned in a pretty solid, tidy return for bonds. Well, and for people that started the year said bonds are garbage because they've never made me any money, I'm going to do something different. I mean, and, and again, I I don't want to get on the soapbox if I told you so, but you know, I'm on record as making fun of some of the product that came out this year on the long bond space, you know, the covered call writing stuff, you know, the, the abysmally poor timing of that product launch was was truly epic, and I think it deserves a chapter in a, in a, in a textbook somewhere. Uh, you know, to 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 think that hey, we've gone through this epic sell-off, and this is where it's going to stay going forward is, I don't know, wrong-headed at least. Yeah, 
So continuing on the interest rate trend and taking uh, some influence from what you mentioned earlier about interest rate cuts. So I said coming into the year that the terminal rate will be different than expected. And the terminal rate is what the Fed was forecasting for year end or uh, peak interest rates, if we want to call them peak interest rates. And in the uh, start of the year, start of 2023, the Fed was predicting that the terminal rate, so where interest rates would peak, would be 5%. Now, as of today, we're sitting between five and a quarter and five and a half percent from the Fed Fed rate. So this was, again, something that was accurate, but also pretty easy to predict because I'm basically saying, it's like if I was predicting the temperature a year from now and saying, I don't know what the temperature is going to be, but I'm going to predict it's not going to be exactly zero Celsius and then calling <laughs> myself right if that came true. Oh, no, no, no. Come on now. Don't don't call yourself out. I mean, that's that's still a legitimate prediction by the way we run predictions for sure. But no, it, it, the, and it's funny because you say terminal rate. I'm going, I haven't heard that term in a while. I mean, like that's something that stopped being used. I don't know how long ago it stopped being used. Um, but yeah, the concept is, is, is the same. And I think there's some belief now that maybe now rates, I don't know, peaked is the word, but don't need to go any higher from here to accomplish the, the stated policy goals. But I mean, that's a, that's a still a lively conversation, uh, that, you know, could stay where it is or, or not going forward. Yeah. Well, the point of making this prediction last year was to emphasize that the central banks themselves are not really that great at predicting the future when it comes to where interest rates are going to go. So they set the interest rates, but they're not that good at predicting where they're going to set them six months, a year from now. So as we sit here today, the belief is now that interest rates are going to be cut at some point throughout 2024. And that may come true but again, I'll say, here's a bonus prediction for 2024. We won't put this as an official one, but the cuts probably are not going to happen exactly like they're projecting today. There's going to be more or less, and the timing is going to be different. And I don't know exactly which side of the ledger it's going to fall on, but I don't think it's going to hit the exact balance that they're trying to get. Well, there's multiple predictions out there. And I think that part of what we have to understand, again, the role of a central banker is sometimes the role of being in theater. Uh, they're trying to coerce a certain behavior out of the market that they see to be sustainable. So when they say something and they get a, a reaction to that, then they don't have to do anything. Yeah. Right? So some, so I, I think it's wrong maybe to hold them to account to say everything you say means to me something you do. Because yeah. if you, it's almost like head faking at somebody, like you see if you can make them flinch. Well, if I make you flinch, I don't need to hit you. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 I got what I wanted out of that exchange with, without actually having to throw a punch. So I think it's maybe unfair, unjust, or you know, not of value to say, well, they talked about raising rates, but they never did. Well, if they talked about it and everybody behaved the way they wanted them to behave, then, well, yeah. I don't need to raise rates now. I don't need to throw the punch. So they accomplished you know, that, what they wanted. Of, yeah. 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 This, this is not to be critical of them. It's more so to prove the point that even the experts, even the people that are most informed out there, they can't yeah. predict the future. And this shouldn't be a surprise to everybody, but it does seem to surprise people sometimes. Well, I mean, because they put a lot of stock on the, the lower for longer or higher for longer or whatever mm -hmm. these little catchphrases that come out. 
and they say, okay, I'm going to take that to the bank and I'm going to go invest as if that's true. And I just stop it. Like, no, it isn't. I mean, it's, it's no more true than anything else that's out there because, you know, they reserve the, and they should, they should reserve the right to react to what's happening in real time. If things go in a different direction, yeah. they should behave differently. To think they're going to put themselves on a set of railway tracks and never deviate from that because, well, I said I'd, I have to do it, otherwise I'll lose credibility. Mm -hmm. That's dumb. Like if new information becomes available, we want them to react to it. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure. So speaking of experts, this is, this is my favorite prediction. <laughs> I can't wait. So it's the fourth one. Elon Musk will do something stupid this year. <laughs> <laughs> but it won't be more stupid than purchasing Twitter for $50 billion. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that, that's probably your most out there of, of predictions because how, how are we grading crazy? Well, this is what I was thinking about it. I mean, so Twitter, now they're saying it's worth, I don't know, a quarter of what he paid for it, something in that ballpark. But the guy's got so much money, it doesn't really matter for him. But he's now, he, he's moving into the stage where I question his sanity, not, not just like his business acumen or his decision-making, but actually his sanity. I don't, did you see the, the, uh, the, the broadcast he was on a news network somewhere and, and he told Bob Iger to go F himself? Yeah. 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 Oh, everybody's seen that clip. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that, it, <laughs> what we're grading stupidity is that more or less stupid than buying Twitter for $50 billion. Well, I, I think you get into an echo chamber, like you get to a certain level where you are detached from reality and you know, that feedback loop is broken that, you know, the world's giving you feedback and stuff. But I, I, I guess I would, I would call you, call you up with one of your assumptions in there. That's not all his money. Didn't he borrow like a few billion of that from banks to, to, per, to do the purchase? Isn't that, isn't he pissing away other people's money at this point? <laughs> it's, it, it is true. I did. I do think he took on some debt financing to make it happen. I'm imagining that it's all personally guaranteed somehow, but who really knows? Oh, I, I'm simple. sure there. Yeah, <laughs> there's there's probably some way for uh, for somebody of of that degree of wealth to protect themselves if something goes south. Yeah, well, this is a guy that that rolled a joint on Joe Rogan and smoked it, even though he was a federal contractor with with NASA, <laughs> got himself yeah. in hot water. I mean, <laughs> no, he he still makes questionable calls from time to time that are not business savvy. Yeah, and we haven't even mentioned some of the uh, the the racist or anti-Semitic remarks that he's uh, commented on over the last last few months, which maybe are the the most stupid thing that he said this year. You, you you would think that a guy that was that busy would have something else to do with his time rather than getting himself in that kind of trouble. Like, don't you have a car to build somewhere? Or, or a spaceship to build, for that matter? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> literally. <laughs> okay. So number five here, inflation won't hit last year's peak, but it will still really matter for longer-term decision-making. So Ooh. just to give some context here, so inflation has, I would say, come down consistently through the year. It definitely hasn't hit the, the same peak as last year, and that's ha definitely had a positive impact on financial markets. Um, but I I think inflation is still super important for making long-term decisions. Would you disagree? Yeah. Yeah, well, I, would, I might disagree with the characterization. It's a positive in, impact on, on markets. Okay. You know, there are those who could argue that it has allowed things to get to an unreasonable level right now, You know, the, given the bullish sure. indicator and things of that nature. I mean, oh. it's up, yes. Po the positive you, in the literal sense that exactly, it is higher? Yeah, okay. 
<laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. As to whether it's sustainable, I yeah. think is a longer conversation. Sure. And maybe has exposed more risk. And we actually we had this conversation today with our with our portfolio management group. How much risk do we have in equities right now, given the recent run up? Mm -hmm. Is it warranted? You know, or is it just you know the optimism based on, hey, we're on the right track? Uh, you know, it's again. I go back to you know, being on a plane when they say, you know, is staying your seat fast and your seatbelts. We haven't landed yet. Um, you know, we're we're kind of at that stage. Like we're coming in for a nice landing, as long as nobody fucks it up and yeah. everybody's got to sit down and 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 keep their keep their seatbelt on until we land this puppy, and then we can get excited because I think the excitement may be premature. Yeah. Yeah, part of the reason why I put that second piece in there about inflation still mattering over the long yeah. term, I I think you you're talking about right now volatility in equity markets. And I think when we talk about risk, just generally speaking, not just you and I, but generally speaking, financial professionals when they talk about risk, they focus a lot on volatility. What is the risk in equities going down next year? For I would say the the vast majority of people and far more people then volatility matters for inflation and longevity risk matter. If you're 65, what the stock market does next year is probably not a huge deal. What inflation does over the next 30 years, 20 years maybe, it is a huge deal. It's going to be much more impactful for you. And I think we've lost sight of that a little bit when we do, when we talk about planning for the future. Well, no, you're right. I think it's the absolute dominant single data piece going forward that matters. I mean, I think it still has that prevalence and it's and it's going to until it gets you know down closer to that two percent mark and stabilizes. I think until we hit something, I'll go out and let me say if it's below two and a half percent and it's stable, then I think it's going to become less of a conversation piece. Yeah. It's going to become less of a concern. And we're not that far off of it. So I don't I don't, I don't want to sound like dramatic in that it has to get there because I think it's on its way there. And you know, but when it crosses that threshold down closer to two percent, then we can we can talk about something else. It's going to release some oxygen into the room that we can have other conversations about other aspects of risk planning, and it'll be the less dominant force in the room. And I'll also go out on a limb and say I think it's on its way there naturally. Um, yeah. I think TIFF TIFF and the Bank of Canada would largely stand behind that right now. Their opinion currently is that you know, rates are where they need to be to get, to get this to where it needs to be. Um, mm -hmm. they reserve the right to change their mind as they should. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that's when it's going to, uh, well, here, here's the follow-up question. What's going to replace inflation is the next thing that's going to dominate the conversation. It's probably going to go back to more about economic growth, I think. Cause so what's to me, what's really driven markets, both stock and bond markets over the last couple of years has been inflation. As inflation has risen rapidly to a high level, both stocks and bonds sold off pretty aggressively. That was 2022, the 2022 story. As it's come back under control in 2023, both stocks and bonds have risen quite successfully. So I think the next big picture topic and what's going to drive markets is it's going to shift from inflation to growth. And I talk, I'm talking about economic growth, GDP, things like that. So while GDP growth is still strong, I think equities can continue to do well. But if you see that wane, then I think that's going to be, we're, you're going to see a bit of a decoupling from the, the stock and bond prices, which have moved fairly in unison over the past couple of years. I, I think to, 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 for me to drill down a little bit more, it's going to be more about the earnings picture specifically. 
And I think there's a danger in that the disconnect and timing between the economic indicators and the earnings um, is going to cause some fuzziness as to where we actually stand. Because I think that the economic indicators are going to be expected to drive earnings. And if the, if the corporate earnings stay strong, then I think that that's going to be the next focus. But I, I'm, I'm, I think that where the, the opaqueness is going to occur is in the timing as to how, when inflation becomes under control, when the GDP numbers begin to change, and what when that affects the actual earnings numbers that come out. I think all of those timings are going to matter to sentiment at any moment in time, and it's going to be pretty fuzzy. Yeah. Interestingly, on a shorter-term basis, like on a year-to-year basis, for example, earnings growth and equity returns don't really have that much correlation, if you can believe it. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I, I think to your point, ultimately, yeah, earnings growth is going to drive the market higher. That's what you need over the longer term, for sure. Yeah. For me, that's where my eyes go next. Inflation's under control. You know, the overall economic indicators good. How's, how's profitability? I mean, that, that, that's where sure. my eyes are going to go and say, okay, where, where is that falling right now? And I think yeah. that that'll become a more important indicator that people will pay attention to. So sticking with the investment theme coming into the year, I said GICs will not be the best investment for most people this year. And that was quite true as we sit here today. So a one-year GIC coming into the year was about 5%. Five-year GIC was about 4%. Uh, with bonds up, uh, again, about 7% on the year. That's the broad, broad Canadian market. Stocks are up double digits. Global stocks up 20%. Canadian stocks up 10%. Basically, any type of balanced portfolio between stocks and bonds this year has handily outperformed GICs. And the, the, the crowd erupts in a small round of golf claps for Josh. You know? <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, God, yes. You were so right. And just, you know, if you did, a, if you took out a 4%, you know, five year GIC and just stayed market exposed for one more year and then went to cash, you'd be pretty close to break even over five years. Uh, so, I mean, that that's the, the magnitude of what's gone on. And, you know, the GICs being the lowest risk end of the market, arguably. Uh, you know, that's what you would expect by taking risk over time. You're going to, you should be rewarded for that. And this is one of the years that taking that risk paid off within a 12 month period. So congratulations for those who listened and stayed the course. And again, for those who had plans to spend money within a year, yeah, GICs can make perfect sense. Like if you're spending money at a certain point in time, uh, they, they can be a great cash flow planning tool. Very seldom are they a good wealth accumulation tool. Yeah. I was looking at, because I think the impetus for people is like, ah, 5% GIC. That's pretty awesome. I'm just going to buy that. Why not? I'll just hold that for five years. I'll be super happy if I get 5% over five years. But if you look back at the last 30 years or so worth of periods when interest rates have peaked and GIC rates have peaked as well, and it's hard to know exactly what peak rates are, peak interest rates or peak GIC rates, but even going back to the 90s when GIC rates peaked at like 6 7% for a 5-year GIC which is higher than they were this time around even still bonds and stocks individually consistently outperformed those GICs over that 5-year period of time so it might feel like this is a no-brainer now that GIC rates are high but it kind of gives a little bit of ballast to just about everything when interest rates are high, not just GICs. And that's, I think, what people miss the point a little bit. Well, then that is exactly the point. A 5%, you know, one-year GIC does not exist in a vacuum. Yeah. 
it's gotten there in connection to the rest of the equity markets and the rest of the capital markets, more capital markets and equity markets. You know, the, the, the capital markets have a certain flavor to them. And when you're seeing GICs pay this, that means a certain other set of, of variables are in a certain way, which historically has favored other asset classes at that time. Mm-hmm. So, and again, banks and other institutions love GICs. And you know that's a very big part of their their, their capital structure. You know, so they're going to make it very easy to buy. And, and then again, frankly, if somebody's got a short-term need for cash, GICs can play a role. Uh, again, I think where you, you're going to be disappointed is if you're counting on them for wealth creation compared to other asset classes. That's where the disappointment is is fairly reliably found. Yeah, all this stuff is linked. And as you said, the GIC rates don't exist in a vacuum. And I love people that come to me today and say, if I had just bought a 5% GIC five years ago, I'd be further ahead than investing in the market. <laughs> it's like, yeah, but that didn't exist five years ago. It's like saying if I had to bought Apple shares 20 years ago, I'd be further ahead. It's like, I guess they, at least they existed 20 years ago. GICs oh, five that. years ago were at 2%. So. Well, it's like that old expression, if my grandmother had wheels, she would have been a bicycle. You know, <laughs> it's, just, it's just, no, it, it, what are you talking about? Yeah. It, 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 it didn't exist. Yeah. So moving on here. This one, I didn't really know how to evaluate. So number seven, none of the celebrities being sued in the crypto lawsuit will lose sleep over money lost during the crypto bust. I don't think they've lost sleep over it because crypto's back. I don't know if you've noticed. <laughs> Solana, I heard today, is up oh, 800% this year. Bitcoin's back. Everybody's back happy to, again. Back, back to what? People are talking about it? <laughs> yeah, it's up. I don't know. It's up. It's well, I mean, back. It's, it's talkable. I, I, I don't think Matt Damon's career has been canceled. I'm still seeing him all the time, so he seems to be well-rested. Um, but yeah, again, it's, it's a Ponzi scheme that's circling the drain. You know, sort of like the you know, the GameStop side. I got to keep an eye on GameStop. GameStop stock is still trading, you know, d- despite everything. You know, so I mean, th- these things. AM radio is still in my car. I mean, you know, there's there's lots of things that it's well past their best before date that are still around. No, I don't think anybody's lost sleep. I haven't followed to conclusion any of the lawsuits, or maybe they've been settled. Um, like whether Tom Brady's had to pay out any money or anybody else who's was involved. Yeah, I haven't heard anything at all. And that's why I said it's a hard one to evaluate. So I don't know if they paid up and it went away or they just lawyered up and their lawyers are probably pretty good lawyers because they're well, multi-multi-millionaires. Well, well, one of one of the one of the celebrities, but they were a crypto celebrity, was Sam Bankman-Fried. He's in jail, you know, so <laughs> yeah. he's not having a good time. So yeah, I don't know if we count celebrities that are celebrities because they were in crypto. Like he, like he kind of turned that into being a celebrity. Um, so he's having a bad time. Yeah, that that's an interesting one. I had been thinking specifically when making this question about the celebrities doing ads for this stuff. They had no clue what they were really promoting, and they they still don't. But apparently, Sam Bankman-Fried didn't really know what he was doing either. So a lot of well, uh, a lot of according, according to the court case, he knew exactly what he was doing. In fact, some of the code that was actually written. Yeah. Um, you know, for his platform was specifically set up to siphon money. So I'm not sure the curly haired geek thing who doesn't know what he was doing was was really that whole story. I, I stand corrected. I stand corrected. Number eight here, there will be more pain for borrowers. What say you? 
mean for borrowers? Well, I guess to the extent that you're borrowing more than you could afford, like for those who extended themselves, yeah, you're in a bit of a pickle and you're you're watching rates really closely day to day, even if your loan doesn't renew for another year or two, because you're dealing with the reality that if your loan renewed right now, you you would be screwed. Um, so yeah, I, I, th I think that for sure there's more pain for people who are net borrowers who are on the younger end of the spectrum. Um, even if you're not having to pay the higher rates, you're looking at the potential for a renewal at a higher rate. Um, and right now it's, it's, it's kind of macabre in that we need a certain amount of pain to be suffered in order to get the boat in the right direction. Um, uh, but as soon as we've suffered enough pain as a society, we can, change direction and everybody be good again. So if you're one of the people that's going to feel the pain really sucks for you. Like, you know, maybe over the next six to nine months, you're going to really, uh, acceptable collateral losses. You're going to lose your house. Um, but Hey, once you lose your house, that should be about it. Everybody else can keep their house. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're kind of going through that phase, I think in, into the coming year. Yeah. And we feel very sorry for those people that are in that position, not, not to be, uh, too joking about it, but yeah. I, I think I, I would have expected there to be a little bit more pain seen demonstrated at an aggregate level anyway, with rates where they are this year, it seems like you're, you're seeing an uptick in defaults and what the banks report is non-performing loans and things like that. But, uh, it's not that significant yet. So I'm sitting here today well, wondering if there's still more pain to come or if maybe we've got by without too much pain at all. Well, I mean, the, the banks came out with their loan loss provisions here just a few weeks ago. And I found it interesting and maybe a little instructive that the amount of loans that are still performing loans that they were actually taking loan loss provisions against. So, so typically if a loan's not performing, mm -hmm. meaning, you know, it's beyond a certain threshold of, of delinquency, it, gets put in the pot of things that we're going to do a loan loss provision for. But they were actually taking hundreds of millions of dollars worth of performing loans and putting them in that category and writing them off. So that to me tells me that one of two things, either the banks were doing the throw in the kitchen sink to make the quarter look as bad as they could make it look, or there's some really smart people who've looked at the numbers and have seen through the upcoming renewals and done a calculation on how many of those are going to go sideways. The the optimist to me wants to believe the second story, that this is an actual calculation that was done. Uh, the 56-year-old advisor to me want, probably believes it to be the first one, that the banks are just trying to make the quarter look bad so they can make next quarter look better. Um, but there's still you know the potential that this is going to get worse before it gets better from a default perspective. So your optimistic view, just so I'm clear, is that there's more <laughs> there's more loan losses to come. Well, my optimistic in that, you know, believing that smart people are making smart, smart determinations yeah. and 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 putting out into the world accurate information for the purpose of putting out accurate information, rather than obfuscating something for other nefarious purposes that really make me sad inside. Yeah. I have a hard time believing that we could get through this debt binge that we've been on as Canadians for the last 15 years without a little bit more discomfort than we've experienced. I, I share your skepticism. I share your belief that it's, you know, the here, hold my beer, watch this, watch how much money I can borrow thing that Canada went on for the last year or last couple of years is really, really epic. And like, like I, 
it's amazing we could hit this kind of level. So if if I live in the world I think I live in, that should result in a lot of pain. Otherwise, maybe I just need to recalibrate and living that far beyond your means is the way we should all live. You just need to borrow more money, Colin. That's what I'm hearing. Well, wait till Renee finds out. <laughs> all right. So number nine here. I said, though, there will be about 9,000 stories about billionaires and their wealth this year, and not one of them will help you make smart financial decisions. How many stories uh, did you see this year? Did I hit the 9,000 mark? Well, probably. But actually, the most interesting story, speaking of billionaires, the most interesting story I heard was that this is the first year that there were more billionaires made by inheritance than by wealth creation. Hmm. So, you know, that's an interesting billionaire story for the year, um, for sure. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're stating a fact, you know, listening to billionaires talk about how to make monetary decisions for the average person is completely worthless. In fact, it's probably dangerous. You know, you, yeah. you, you know, these kinds of things are all situation dependent and most billionaires who are talking, you know, saying things out loud about giving advice are probably billionaires because they get paid for giving advice in one way or another. You know, they, you sign up for their program on how to invest in real estate. It, you know, it's a free program. And during the free program, it's a, it's a three-day pitch on to sign up for their master's program that for $5,000 will give you all that you need to know to sign up for their super master's program, which is $20,000, which will put you on a path that you could qualify for the super extra master's program for $50,000. And you'll get to sit down one-on-one -on -one with this person for 10 minutes as they touch your hand and make you feel good about yourself. And they'll put you in line for the $100,000 epic long-term package. Um, you know, that's how the billionaires make money. So we agree that most of these are probably useless, most of these stories. Charlie Munger did die this year, not too long ago. And I actually think there's probably some tidbits in there from his life, from his investment approach that would be helpful for some people. Oh, listen, some of his, you know, stories and parables, yes. I mean, you have to look at it through a certain lens and you have to understand the, uh, where he was when he came up with these expressions. You know, there's, there's something different about sitting at a table as a multi-billionaire and sitting at a table as a multi-thousandaire and, you know, make decisions and take risks to, to keep food on your table versus building your wealth. Um, but Entertaining for sure, a different uh, a different perspective than others for sure, and not dumb for sure. Maybe not as relevant as some people would interpret it as. I, mean, I think that's where it falls down. It's not as relevant for people as they would maybe hope or expect it to be. That's for sure. So the the last one here was one that you predicted that twenty twenty three was going to be a remarkable year. For WLWP, ah, uh, well, I, that, that's because we knew what was going to happen, right? I mean, that, that we had the choice to do that. So yes, WLWP ended in 2023 and and blossomed into a beautiful butterfly. Uh, it turned into Varican. So yes, it was a very big year. Foreshadowing, I guess, was 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 the instrument that I was using last year. So, so yes, that's been a big year for us. Do you do you agree, Josh? By all accounts, very successful, uh, a huge leap forward and setting ourselves up on a platform for success and our clients for, for success for years to come. Um, instrumental, I would call it, in our growth. It's, it's going to feature prominently in the movie that's going to be made about us one day. 
<laughs> Who's going to play you? <laughs> oh, no, that's, that's loaded. So I, I have to pick some young up and comer. Like, who, who's the Top Gun guy? <laughs> Tom Cruise? No, no, the young guy. Oh, Tom, yeah, Cruise, well, Tom yeah. Cruise is too old to play me. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I don't know all the movie stars. You're asking me a question out of my depths. Ask me about math and finance and stuff like that. I'll do just fine. Pop culture, oh, right. I'm out. All right, fair enough. No, no, it's 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 been a good year from that perspective. Very very proud of the team. It was a lot of hard work from a lot of very talented people. And uh, yeah, last year I knew it was going to happen. Well, I knew, I guess, this is a stretch. I really, 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 really wanted it to happen. Uh, so it's kind of nice to sit here and say, yeah, I told you so. Yeah. So I guess wrapping up, we'll just say a big, big thank you to all of our listeners throughout the year. It's been an absolute pleasure, pleasure Colin and I putting on these podcasts for you. And we look forward to many more to come. And if you have suggestions, as always, drop us a line. We'll be happy to accommodate. Follow and share. We appreciate your input in whatever form it comes. If you're breaking a sweat trying to figure out what your financial advisor is talking about, you're not getting the service you need. You probably hate trying to get an answer from them, but you also think moving your accounts will be a headache. And it might be. But working with DontRockTheBoatWealthPlanning.com or .ru isn't exactly stress-free, is it? Call us. We will demystify the world for you. Vericant Capital Management, Inc. is a registered portfolio manager in all of Canada, except Manitoba. So sorry, Manitoba. Nothing in this podcast should be considered as a solicitation or recommendation to buy or sell a particular security. Statements made by the portfolio managers are intended to illustrate their approach and are meant for information and entertainment purposes only. They should not be construed as legal, tax, or accounting advice. This podcast has been prepared for information purposes only. The tax information provided in this podcast is general in nature, and each client should consult with their own tax advisor, accountant, and lawyer before pursuing any strategy described herein, as each client's individual circumstances are unique. We've endeavored to ensure the accuracy of the information provided at the time that it was written. However, should the information in this podcast be incorrect or incomplete, or should the law or its interpretation change after the date of this document, the advice provided may be incorrect or inappropriate. There should be no expectation that the information will be updated, supplemented, or revised, whether as a result of new information, changing circumstances, future events, or otherwise. We are not responsible for errors contained in this podcast or to anyone who relies on the information contained in this podcast. Please consult your own legal and tax advisor.